This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Julie Caldwell. Julie is a psychologist living in Boulder, Colorado, where she leads the intensive learning community and teaches classes on living consciously at the Boulder Center for Conscious Community. She has been in private psychotherapy practice since 1991, where she offers individuals and couples sessions and consultations, as well as leading weekend retreats, classes, and groups. With Sounds True, Julie has published a new book called The Relationship Skills Workbook, a do-it-yourself guide to a thriving relationship. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Julie joined me in the Sounds True studio, and we talked about tuning to the sensations in our bodies as a primary skill that's needed to create loving relationships. We talked about learning to speak unarguable truths and how also to create a space for listening to all of the truths that our partner longs to share. We talked about fighting in relationships and how Julie believes that most fighting is actually totally unnecessary if we can learn to work with what she calls our reactive brain. And finally, we talked about taking 100% responsibility for whatever is happening in your relationship. Here's my conversation about relationship as a skill with Julie Colwell. Julie, I think for most people, when they think of a good relationship, they think, well, that couple, they're really lucky. They're just so lucky. They met the right person. And, you know, my relationship is troubled for this reason or or that reason. I'm not lucky like them. And yet you've written a book now, The Relationship Skills Workbook, which seems to imply that relationship isn't so much about meeting the quote-unquote right person, but more about developing a set of skills. Is that how you see it? Yes. Um, I think actually we tell ourselves so many stories about how difficult relationships are, relationships are work, um, and yes, only the lucky few get to have really great relationships. I don't believe that at all. I believe that with some tools, with some um, really specific and not even that complicated skills, people can have fabulous relationships. Pretty much most people can. Now, you might not believe that, and yet I think when most of us look around us, that's what we see. That is what we see. So I guess meaning I think most of us, we look, for most people, they look around at their friends or their you know, people in their family, like, yeah, only a few people really seem super happy at the end of the day. How do you think it is that we're in this situation if it's just about learning some skills? Wouldn't we have figured this out by now? Well, who's ever taught anybody anything? I mean... 
I never learned anything, like even all the way from kindergarten through graduate school, and I went to psychology graduate school, I didn't learn one thing about how to have a relationship, nothing. So what I based my own uh, style of relationship on was what I learned growing up and between being a sibling in a pretty mm, chaotic household and then watching my parents who were unhappy, well, those were my two models of relationships. So I could look around past that. Well, let's see, there's TV. <laughs> that was only so useful. That's pretty much it. So in terms of actually having a skill set, um, no, I didn't ever learn anything. Um, so, and again, even stressing, even in graduate school, we didn't talk about anything like emotions, strangely enough. It was a while back. Hopefully they're doing more of that now. Um, but when I learned how to do couples work, nothing about actually um, teaching somebody basically like how to even know what you're feeling. That seems like such a mystery for people. Um, we talk as if we know what we're feeling. Well, I feel, that's a good start, I feel like you. <laughs> and that's my feeling. I feel like you are whatever. I feel like you're a jerk. You're a jerk. Yeah. That seems like how we yeah. want to finish that sentence, yeah. or I do. Or I feel like I just can't do this. So we just start from the starting line. We go off into some place that's all about mind, what we're thinking about, the projections, the stories we're making up. Has very little to do with any any actual substance of our own emotional life. Well, it seems like you're moving into a description of what you think one of the key skills in relationship might be that has something to do with knowing what we're feeling. So talk a little bit about that in terms of what these key skills are and this idea of knowing what we're feeling as being part of that. Yes, because I do believe that's the mysterious zone for people. And um, I also think over time, you know, I've made up my own stories about couples. Uh, here's one of them. I think that men believe women understand emotion. And so I'm here to say, to try to uh, uh, do something about that myth, because I don't think women are really any better at men than, it, than about having emotions or describing their own emotional life. Because we've got that, I feel we start there and then everyone sort of scatters and, you know, waits for the next words as if they're the truth. And really all that's happened is people launch into their stories and projections. So in terms of a skill, right there I would, um, I see a, a dividing line in my head, a, a highway that goes in one direction or the other that the one direction is off into thoughts, stories, beliefs, which in my brain are all about projections because it's whatever I've learned up to now about how life works. But the other whole merging lane um, is about what's happening in my body. So uh, that's not a world that I ever knew anything about, really, literally nothing. Uh, what my physical body was, sure, but what was my inner world trying to tell me, I had no idea that there were signals um, or communications from my body. So in terms of a key skill, that is like number one in neon to actually check in with all of these signals that our bodies are desperately trying to tell us with that big uh, stomach ache that won't go away. Or I did a workshop out in the woods one time and this woman was, as I can see her now, uh, saying, well, I have had this headache for two years. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe that actually means something. 
So these physical symptoms that people try to um, medicate away are so often our bodies desperately trying to reach us with these messages that are really profound and important. So yeah, a number one skill is check in with my body, but what's the truth? Now, can you make it more explicit for people what the connection is between what's physically happening inside them and their emotional life, what that connection is, and then what that has to do with how I'm going to have a a happy relationship with my partner? Okay, just that. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. So how this works is here I am having a conversation and something happens because we can go along and everything is fine. La, 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 everything's great. And then something happens. Now, people seem to have a lot of judgment about the somethings that happen. It shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't have turned left. If you had just turned right, we wouldn't be in this traffic. You shouldn't have dropped that. You shouldn't have, I shouldn't have uh, overdrawn our account. If only then Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be having this. So we tend to put so much energy in the things that have already happened versus right now, this is happening, the something is happening, and my body is having a reaction. Yeah. So it's the reaction where the gold is. Mm. Wow, I feel like throwing up. Oh, my jaw is so tight. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I can't hardly breathe now. All in that, that's, that's what's to be mined because every one of those is pointing me in a direction of what I'm feeling emotionally. What's the emotion? My jaw is telling me I'm angry. My chest is telling me I'm sad. Yeah. My stomach is telling me I'm scared. Yeah. So if I can connect with that, well, now I can tell you, well, the truth is I'm scared. Oh, I thought I was angry because we turned right. I guess it was left. But actually... When I tune in, it's my stomach. I am scared. Oh, what am I scared about? Oh, I'm scared I'm going to be late. Oh, well, that's so useful because instead of me railing against you because you never listen to me when we're driving down the road, I can tell you what's the truth. The truth is I feel scared about being late. Now I know what's true. You know what's true. And then I can just sit there and be scared because you don't have to do anything about that. It's my body actually let my body feel scared to process the emotion, to move it through, because probably in a couple of minutes, if I actually attend to that, I'm going to be fine. So what we did was to steer around the whole, you know, we should never, uh, we should have left on time, but we didn't. And now you turn left into traffic and now I'm sitting here and I'm going to be late and you always do this. And then you have to defend yourself. And now we're all in this wrangle and tangle of of the conflict instead of what really is the, the only important thing is that my stomach is tight. Really, that's the only thing that happened. So if I can attend to that and breathe and actually feel better, oh, okay, now my stomach is fine. We just skipped about, well, I don't know, anywhere from, you know, 15 minutes to days of a conflict where it's the power struggle about who's right and who's wrong. It sounds to me that what you're saying is that when people develop, we could call it somatic intelligence or knowing how to tune to their bodies and then understand the messages they're getting about their emotional state, that you are saying that our relationships would have a very different quality if you had two people who were, were doing that. Yes, very different quality. Now, let's say you have one person who's doing that in a relationship. (laughs) How is that going to 
unfold? Um, it still can be quite impactful. When I teach these skills, often the very first question is, okay, great. Now I know how to do this, but what about those other people in the world? Yeah, it's those other <laughs> people. Because yeah. from now on, I'll always tune into my body. Um, actually, if I'm in a room and I can tell anybody, it could be, I don't know, the whole group of people at the, the meeting, or it could be you right now. Uh, let's see if I can do it. Oh, my mouth is a little dry and I feel a little tight in my body. Like, as soon as I'm doing that, do you notice that your attention is actually going into your body? I do. So that's interesting. Plus, you've had a little um, tour through my experience. Now, because of all the physiologic, physiological cues going back and forth between us, that's really what empathy is. And this is an open loop system. Our limbic systems are connecting more. Like, it all starts to, I can impact you simply by my own attention going in instead of into something that's more projecting and blaming. Now, I know, Julie, as part of your work, you've studied and inquired into the life of animals. And yeah. if we could say the emotional life of animals, I don't know if you'd quite put it that way, but I'm wondering would... what you've learned about relationships from the animal kingdom. Oh, really? The, the thought I'm carrying with me these days, which delights me, is... Um, the problem for humans is we are threatened animals who can speak. I mean, that if you listen to our language um, about relationships, we, we use animal language all the time. Uh, well, she's a backbiter, or he just rolls over, or um, uh, wow, I just, I totally went into a freeze like a deer in the headlights when we had that conversation. So basically, our systems are, are, I believe, pretty much the same as any other mammal in terms of what we're most looking for in relationship, like basic physiological comfort, for one, safety, what would downshift our systems. And then when we go into reactive brain, into that threat, animal threat brain, um, we just, we act like animals. But unfortunately, we say things. We don't just growl and bark and whimper. We say, you don't understand me, or... Um, you're so mean, or I need to get out of this relationship, which, of course, is going to just escalate everything. Now, you use this interesting phrase, reactive brain, when we move into reactive brain. What, what's that? Reactive brain, I, I think people will very much recognize that state where there was one moment when they felt very relaxed and fine, and then the something happened. Yeah. The, um, maybe there was a big sound outside, or they just saw the bill on the table, or uh, their mother-in-law just left a message, you know, something sure. where it's, uh-oh, there's an uh-oh response that's automatic. It's actually, I think these days we can see there's so much fascinating information about the brain. Those things, those reactions are happening seconds before our the rest of us is online, certainly our neocortex. So, our bodies are already in reaction mode before our minds ever catch up to, oh, that's <laughs> sort of slow motion. Oh, now I notice that I'm really upset. You know, we can kind of get there. But generally, especially in our culture, people are already trying to talk themselves out of all of that. I think we have so much shame about being built like animals that, that really, um, I think this is a main issue in relationships that 
people get triggered into reactive brain where the cortisol levels go up and the pulse is raised and the blood pressure is up and we want to f- fight, flight, or freeze. And we want to run out of the room or have a fight or just don't know what to do. Um, and once we're in that state, well, first we just have so much judgment about it. I shouldn't be in it. I'm ashamed to be in it in front of you. And now and you're in it, oh, my God, well, I never felt this with anyone else, you know, so there's clearly something wrong with our relationship that I'm so deeply or uh, in so much of a triggered response. So I think um, without that judgment, um, wow, people could be so freed up. I go around teaching people how to just try to love their reactive brains. Okay, so here something's happened. I'm triggered by something my partner said. Maybe I feel criticized or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And... Here I am, I'm I'm tuning to the physical sensations, and I say to my partner, uh, you know, I notice I feel heat in my body and I feel angry. Okay, so what next? Where's this taking us? I mean, and you know, my partner may say, I feel my stomach, and I'm like, okay, great, I'm glad we have the physiological data report, but where's this getting us? Really, that's great. Um, in fact, I actually teach people how to do that. <laughs> to, and I ask them to ask each other for a weather report. What's really the weather internally? What it's getting you is that you're tuning into what's really happening. Because what I would want you to do next is basically do something to, to shift your physiology. Stop talking about the issue. We're not going to solve the problem. You're not going to solve the problem. You, The problem... I don't know if you've noticed this, but suddenly the problem is different. So before it was, oh, well, you know, it might be nice to have time together. And suddenly the problem is, you never did love me. <laughs> or, like, what problem yeah. are you really trying to solve? So in reactive brain, the blood flow is coming out of the neocortex. It's going into the limbic system. It's, it's going into the, uh, all of those automatic responses. It's going into our, our muscles to get us ready to do something to get away from or to deal with the threat. It is not going into those nice places that will help us calmly sit down and sort through the issue. And it for sure is not going into, I think of it as creative brain, which is the different place from reactive brain, not exactly opposite, but it's its, it's, it's good friend, that wait till you're back into creative brain to try to solve the issue because then suddenly, oh yeah, we could yeah, we could sell the house and move into a tiny house. That would be great. Versus half an hour ago, I hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. Or we will never have money or whatever reactive brain is coming up with as the story. Because the stories from reactive brain are all going to be about competition, scarcity, not enough, um, everything that comes from being a threatened animal. I've got to fight with you or I've got to run away. Um or maybe I'll just sit here and freeze into just not telling you anything. Probably some people can relate to that. So it's as simple and direct as I feel triggered right now. I feel X, Y, Z in my body. And I think we should talk about this at another time. It is as simple as that. That's sort of amazing, isn't it? All the communication skills that people think they need to learn. Because for the most part, people are very able to talk. I sit down with couples. They come in with to my office, and it took them a lot to get there. And they're chatting away. They're talking. They're fine until they get triggered. And then everything 
this goes wacky for them. So yes, um, John Gottman did this great experiment that's totally shifted how I thought about doing couples work, where uh, he's he. he He's this wonderful um, researcher who's done 25 years of uh, videotaping couples and attaching them to all sorts of monitors. So the the um, experiment was to have the couple they're get into a, an argument, they're in front of the cameras, and then to tell them that uh, the camera broke. It was, stop, 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 camera broke, could you just sit there? And so then the couple, of course, is very compliant because they're in this laboratory. And so they're sitting there for 15 minutes. And then the researcher comes in and says, okay, go ahead, we fixed the camera. Now they're a different couple. So they had 15 minutes to just be and leaf through the magazines or whatever. And suddenly their physiology has settled to the point that they, are, they can talk through an issue. That is fascinating to me. Now, of course, simple doesn't mean easy. And for me, having done my own work on this for many years, I still, when I go into reactive brain, my brain is saying, this is never going to work. This is stupid. Well, of course I need to work on this. This is, this is urgent. That's part of reactive brain is the urgency. I must talk about this right now. We have to deal with this. But all of that is so um, counterproductive for couples who really need to go and chill or do something to shift their physiological state. They don't have to go away from each other. They could... Um, Put on some great music, some big, loud, booming drumming music and dance. That would be wonderful for them. Or go for a walk without talking about it or uh, sit down and just meditate together. Actually, my very favorite shift move, which is timely for this time of year, it's fail-safe for me and my partner, is a, a squirt gun fight. Mm. So I'll be totally so mad, but if I can get myself to the squirt gun and start a squirt gun fight, we are running around screaming, and it's impossible to stay upset if you're if I'm in the middle of a squirt gun fight. <laughs> do, do you think it's possible if a couple really worked this skill that you're describing that there wouldn't be that much fighting in a relationship? Because I think there's this idea that, you know, fighting's good. You have to have a good fight. The good fight is where you both express yourself and you're, I don't know, I don't know, exactly mm -hmm. know what a good fight might be. But as you're talking, it's making me think, huh, maybe, maybe there's not even all that much need for fighting. I don't actually believe there's much need for fighting. There is a need to speak the truth. So I don't want that to blend away and to sort of la-la land of, oh, let's just skip along and everything is fine. Um, because often I think people try hard to have everything be fine um, by not saying the things that are not fine for them, the, to actually tell the truth about, I feel angry. I mean, that's not so easy for people, especially if we've got an idea that now, okay, it's better to not fight. I, so I, I agree with you, yes, that there's no good reason to uh, try to use English words or whatever language during... Um, during some escalated state, that that will make it more escalated. On the other hand, um, committing to speaking the unarguable truth will allow the connection to maintain um, that it's the things that I'm not telling you that are going to start to disconnect me from you. Mm -hmm. Now tell me what you mean by this phrase, the unarguable truth. People, yes, what is the unarguable truth? It is the truth that you can't argue with me about. 
Now that's interesting in that there's really not much you can't argue with me about. I was going to say, try me, but yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. it's all right. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. So can you argue with that? Of course I could. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you're late? Uh, we could. I'm sure many couples have arguments over yes. that very question. <laughs> right. And so that um, to notice that, and and that is the only definition I have of the unarguable truth is I know it's arguable if somebody can argue with me. It's not. Do we have statistics to back it up, or would anybody else believe it? It's strictly, can you argue with me? So the only thing that I believe, and I have to lay down some foul lines around this because we, we have to have some agreement about this, the only things you can't argue with me about are the things happening in my body. So that's the, that's the line right there. So that means, like, that's a, that's a short list. My sensations are happening in my body. So going back to that tight stomach, that's mine. <laughs> Just not so easy for some couples, but it's like, you know, the one that says, well, if you... One person says, you know, my, I have a headache. The other, if you would just have had some water, right? No, it's my head. So sensations are in my body. Emotions then come from sensations. So I can start to link those um, going back so that fear tends to happen in the belly, sadness in the chest, anger up in the jaw, um, and arms and, and shoulders, um, back. Uh, glad tends to feel a, a whole body. Sexual tends to be genitals, but also, you know, beyond that. All of that is unarguable. If I say I feel angry and sexual, I would say you don't get to argue with me about that. And that goes with another whole idea that I'm publicizing throughout the world, which is anybody gets to feel anything, anytime, for any reason. I just want to kind of pause with that because people don't really believe that. So that if I feel angry, I have to have a really good reason. And now I'm going to have 10 reasons for you because if you had only and you had didn't, and what about your stupid job? Of course, anybody would be angry. Instead, wait a second. I just, I have tight jaw and I have a headache and I feel angry and I get to because, well, for me, it's the law in my own Queenland, because <laughs> anybody gets to, which takes a lot of the pressure off from, I shouldn't be feeling this. People walk around with this, poor all of us. I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. And just think about what that does to a person. I'm feeling it, but I shouldn't be feeling it. Like, huh. So that means I'm going to have to drink or smoke or eat or surf the internet to try to not feel what I'm feeling. I'm actually feeling a little teary as I'm talking about this because people torture themselves about this. But if we start from the inside out, and I had to really actually figure this out for myself because I would go, well, I think, I, well, I'm feeling grumpy, but I don't know. Look at my life. What do I have to feel grumpy about? I must be fine. Yeah. There's just something wrong with me. Yeah. But from the inside out, it's it, grumpy turns into a slight headache and tight jaw and uh, tight stomach. Oh, and maybe I have some tightness in my chest. Oh, the truth is I feel scared and sad. Oh, that's interesting. And maybe maybe mad. I wonder when I started feeling mad. Suddenly, wow, I can actually feel what I'm feeling, and it's already starting to move through me. And if, you, if I'm 
in relationship of any sort with you as a coworker, a friend, or a partner, you you have some idea instead of oh Julie's grumpy again. It's like oh something's really happening for her. Now interestingly, you talk about these five categories of emotional experience. And what I liked about that is that it made it pretty simple. Yeah, simple. I like that. Yes. And you already have named them anger, sadness, fear, glad, and sexual. Yes. So so you believe that anything that anyone's feeling, first of all, could map to one of those five categories and that all of it's okay, whatever you're feeling. Yes. And for the anthropologists out there, they're arguing with me, and they should because <laughs> there, we could add some. Um, and for relationships, keeping it simple because of reactive brain, reactive brain can't track complicated. So yes, five is really useful. And it's, it's like the primary colors in that can start mi- mixing and matching. For example, um, guilt. Well, I feel guilty. Well, that sort of thuds. I feel guilty. Well, what does that mean? But if I tune in, I can actually start pulling it apart into, oh, I notice my stomach's tight. Oh, I feel scared. Oh, and I'm mad too, but I'm scared to tell you I'm mad because, you know, the thing happened that I did. And so then I can actually go into what's really happening and my body can start to move. Okay. And it can so move out the, of me. the place where the, I'm having a question here is I think I get people tracking their bodies and, and giving the output of that experience at the level of sensation and even saying it's one of these five emotions or a combination. But a lot of what needs to happen, it seems to me, in relationship is I have to say some other things like why I might be afraid or what I need from you to help me not feel so afraid or like there's some other stuff that might need to happen. Is (laughs) that correct? (laughs) I remember a friend saying, wow, our conversations have gotten much shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, Yeah. And notice here, if I, as soon as I start to go into the because, well, just be careful. Uh, I notice I, my jaw is tight. I feel angry because you were late. All right. So now we just veered away from what's unarguable. Right. And you will argue with me probably unless you're feeling happy and maybe you won't. But so, so that part is not so easy to stay with the unarguable. But yes, I would add in, and there's uh, some great exercises in the workbook about this, that every one of those emotions actually is is giving us a communication. So that anger is saying um, there's an intrusion or there's an obstacle. So that's useful. It's still about me, by the way. I'm the one, my body is the one's perceiving that there's an intrusion or an obstacle. So in other words, I'm getting something I don't want or not getting something that I want. Um, With fear, there's a perceived threat. With sadness, there's a loss. So this is pretty simple stuff. If I can stay with it, wow, I feel sad. What, What have I lost? What's coming up for me about loss? And then I can actually describe more of that to you. Uh, glad is really about what can I celebrate, what am I enjoying. Sexual is can be sexual attraction, but it's also a bigger life energy of what am I really drawn to, what's exciting for me right now. So each one of these emotions can lead into the, uh, the rest of my experience, so long as I'm not blaming you or putting it on you, and that's not so easy for people. The other thing that's unarguable, because we've got sensations, emotions, 
what I want is unarguable. And so that's the part that's going to engage you again. So um, I notice I feel sad and I feel lonely. And, um, you know, I notice I'm, my body is just kind of over here um, in this low place. You know what I really would want? I'd really want to have some connection time with you and be, you know, maybe we could sit together. So that's going to bring you back into the equation. Um, and then you get to do the same thing. You can tell me what's happening for you and ultimately what you want. And then things get really interesting because then we can start to weave that together about what we both want and, and be co-creative with that. Now this what I want skill, that seems where things could get a little bit more risky and challenging. I say something that I want, that requires a lot of courage. What if my partner is completely disinterested in giving it to me? <laughs> right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, well, I would say a lot of us have spent years dimming down what we want. Yeah. When I teach this, people look at me with these kind of wide eyes and thinking, you know, they're saying to me, well, I don't know what I want. I don't even know what I want. So how can I even tell you what I want? Um, and then often they start with, well, what I don't want is, and maybe build to the what I want. Um, and there's a, an extra skill in this, which is to actually get to the bottom line of what I want. Because people often have solved something in their minds and they, they present the solution. Well, what I want is to have sex. That's a perfect solution. I want to have sex. I think this is a great example. Yeah. Uh, uh, people, they're tracking their body. Yeah person feels sexual and yeah. they say, I want to have sex. Have sex yeah. And the partner is completely not interested. Yeah. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That person will say, I want to be emotionally connected before I have sex. <laughs> That's a match set right there. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, so getting down underneath what I would think of as the solution, sex is the solution to, well, what do I really want? Well, I want to have sex. I mean, it kind of, it can sound so sort of banal as I'm describing it here, but but really getting down to, is that true for me? Like, is that really true in my body that I want genital expression? Well, maybe it is. Well, that may or may not include you, but maybe I want something else. And I just, my mind decided it was sex. You gotta watch these minds, you know, they are tricksters. We, um, one of the things that I walk around with as an idea is that our mind does not, my mind does not wish the best for me. Mm -hmm. So really finding underneath, what is my mind saying? Well, we should be having sex X amount of time and we are not. Therefore, there's something wrong with us. Now I want sex. Well, huh. So what's really underneath all of that? Well, what do I really want? Well, I want to feel normal like any other couple. Well, I want to think there's not something wrong with us. Well, I want to feel close to you. Well, I want to uh, not feel all my other feelings. Yeah. You know, what's really going on? And so that's going to probably take more exploration than just what my, whatever my mind has generated. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. 
Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, interestingly, and I think it's related to this, in the Relationship Skills Workbook, you talk about toxic habits that people have in relationship. And one of them I thought was very interesting. Here's the toxic habit that you describe. If I hurt you enough through blame, criticism, or contempt, you'll stop doing what I don't want you to do. And what I'm getting at here and what I want you to unpack for our listeners is this idea that often instead of saying what we want, we instead criticize or blame or do something else to try to get what we want. Right. And help people really understand how they could catch themselves in this toxic habit. Yeah, hard habit to break, especially for Westerners, I think, I don't know, or Americans. We seem to have this idea that punishment works, that punishment is an effective learning strategy. So we do it to ourselves and we do it to the people around us, especially the people that are closest to us. Uh, there's, I have to, I don't know, whatever the latest thing is I'm supposed to be doing, exercise more, eat better, whatever the thing is. So what's wrong with me that I'm not? Do I have to like... Uh, sort of kick myself around the block. And so then, yes, now that you are sharing my psychic space, I, I'm going to do the same thing with you. I'm going to um, sort of use um, especially contempt, very, yeah, very hard on a relationship. Um, it might be in the tone of my voice. It might be that kind of back of the throat thing that we do. Um, it's universal uh, for mammals. They have some version of that, I think. Um, in order really to try to control you. And of course, well, of course I'm saying, I don't know, my experience is that the other person isn't like jumping up and down saying, okay, thank you for, for helping me be better. They're mostly recoiling and defending and trying to get away from the connection because it starts to feel um, really awful, frankly, mm-hmm. to, to be around that kind of uh, what's the matter with you, that kind of ongoing message, whether it's uh, spoken or just indirect, that there's really something wrong with you. It seems like what we carry with us, there's got to be something wrong with someone. If there's, if we're having a hard time in our relationship, well, it's either me or you. And often when people come into my office, that's what they're trying to figure out. And they're kind of bringing each other there so that I can decide which one is the problem. Uh, people are way too good at diagnosis anymore with the internet, and so well, clearly they're sort of waiting for me to to finally decide. Well, it's it's that one, and hopefully it's not this one. <laughs> and really, oh, I again feel sad about that because mostly people are just frustrated because they don't know how to do this. There's not anything wrong with anybody. They well, of course that's an overstatement. You know, we all have our challenges, but huh. The frustration comes from not knowing how to get out of that hell of reactive brain and that they are doing the best they can, feeling, um, I believe that about humans, uh, sort of going down uh, with each other as they are triggering and counter-triggering each other until the only solution is to get away. Now, I want to sort of circle around here because you were talking about this example of 
someone who felt sexual and wanted to have sex and said, I want to have sex. And I could imagine then engaging in this toxic habit right. of saying, right. the reason we don't have <laughs> more sex in our relationship yes. is because you're X, Y, Z. Absolutely. And that it would take a lot of softness and courage for someone to say, actually, you know, here's what I'm feeling and here's what I'm longing for or wanting. And, and I'm wondering if you can help us understand what would be the skillful way for the person who is longing for something. How would they talk to their partner at that moment? Well, first I want to address that there are a lot of people out there that think either there's something wrong with them around sex or something wrong with their partners. Yeah. Um, and that often people come into my office and one of them believes that they've got something called low low sexual desire, I think. you know, I'm, I'm sure my yeah. profession has made that popular. Um, yes, and so instead of that, which what I would call arguable <laughs> and a story, um, I'd be really interested in supporting each of them to be able to go in there and find out what's really going on. Um, because by the time they get there, that one person basically is shutting down their bodies, um, there's been some sort of history that's gotten them there. Um, and so being able to uncover the layers of that, well, yeah, that started nine months ago or 13 years ago or some time in the past when the one who doesn't want to have sex had sex when they didn't want to have sex. That's often where it started um, because they thought they should. And their bodies over time just kind of stop being willing to do that. So you ask, so how do you have that conversation? I think it's about willingness and courage, the way you just said, to actually hear the truth. Because it's one thing to, all right, can you commit to speaking the truth? But there's the whole other part of this about hearing the truth, mm. hearing what you don't really want to hear. Mm. Like, I didn't like having sex with you that way. Or yeah. I didn't like uh, how you approached me. Or, um, or I, didn't, I had sex when I didn't want to. That would be the big truth that people don't speak. And then years go by where it's, people are building their sexual relationship on top of that kind of very thin ice. So being able to speak that, being able to hear that, like I, I want to hear everything, that to me is, um, again, like you're saying, the very tender place, courageous place, and the most... Mm, strengthening thing you can do for your relationship. I mean, people want to have safety in their relationships. And often I think what we do to, have to be safe is basically shut ourselves down. And then over time we say, wow, I don't know what happened. I don't yeah. feel in love anymore. Yeah. But I guess this is just what long-term relationship is. So, yeah. okay, we'll just spend the next 30 years passionless and, yeah. oh, well, that's what happened for my parents or whatever. And you go on with that until the, they cute person is at the office or whatever, and then suddenly they feel alive again. Yeah. Um, so, so finding our ways back to what's really safe, to me, the only safety we have is the truth. That is what allows safety in a relationship, is for me to create a space with you where you are willing to tell me exactly what's going on, and vice versa, that, that I have the courage and the commitment to tell you exactly what's going on day to day to day, 
moment to moment to moment to not just go into that place of that little white lie thing that people say, you know, what they don't know won't hurt them or this just isn't a good time. We had this nice evening plan, so I just won't tell them how much I spent today or that stuff really matters. It starts stacking on top of, I think of this passion fire that we start with, like, mm. oh, and love and passion and great yeah. sex. And then over time, we start throwing dirt on it in yeah. terms of what we didn't say until there's really, it's, it's under there. If we can just sort of scrape off what hasn't been said over the years. Um, but sometimes, well, I don't know. Typically, where and I working with a couple, we can find those little teeny embers. Um, but you wait too long and they go out. Now, now, let's talk a little bit about the listener in this situation. What can the listener do to create the space for truth in their relationship? Well, they can breathe a lot. Mm -hmm. They can breathe a lot. Um, I think what happens for people when they're trying to hear, even when they go into it, okay, this time I'm going to do a better job, that right away they're, they've got filters listening for blame, for criticism, for how they did it wrong. Yeah. Um, so trying to come back into their own bodies. There we are again. Okay, here's my experience. And then letting the other person be over there in their own separate experience. So I have you know, mantras I use, like, keep breathing, Julie, just listen. This is how they feel. That's their body. That's, that's what's happening for them right now. Um, and then even if there's a sense of being allies, which hopefully in a relationship there could be, um, being able to say things like, well, I just notice, um, I'm just wondering, are you blaming me right now? I'm just wondering. <laughs> or, ha, huh, you know. That seems like I, a very evolved person who well, would ask, I wonder, are you blaming me? That, it, that, would, that would be a very evolved has, statement. It has saved, saved me in, uh -huh. in conversations, for sure. Uh -huh. Instead of my old technique, sure. which is to say, you're blaming me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or why are you blaming me? Or that is not true. <laughs> Stop blaming me. That's yeah. Right. But to actually put it out there as a possibility, uh -huh. which brings us both back into being conscious of, oh, yeah, right, unarguable, back in, yeah, wondering what's really true right now. But a lot of breathing. And um, again, because of this open limbic system, most systems, all systems in our bodies, you know, think of our blood system. All our blood is in, in our bodies. It stays here. But emotionally, we are creating a loop. It's happening between us. And so if I'm having some physiological reaction, you're going to know and you're going to feel it. That's hard for couples, really hard for couples. You know, one's at home having a great time. The other person just had a terrible day at work and they come in and there's smoke coming out of their head. And suddenly there's this clash of physiology. So actually breathing with that and understanding that that's happening. And of course, we're going to impact each other. That's how we're built. Um, and giving some room and space to come back into my own body, my own experience. Okay, and let's say someone's listening right now, and they know there are some truths that need to be said in their relationship. Yes. But right. they're listening, and they're scared. Yeah. They feel in their body that they're scared. <laughs> and, <laughs> but they're kind of inspired at the same time. Okay. How can you yeah. help them cross that gap and actually do it? And their partner's not the fabulous breathing listener you've just <laughs> described. I think where I would start 
would be for for that listener uh, to sit down with this other person and say, would you be interested in having a more connected, intimate, passionate relationship? Because I am. Hmm. So could we go in that direction? Hmm. So actually setting up a field ahead of time, if they can. Um, because if, if, in fact, you are, you could listen to this podcast and, and learn some, some things I've just been learning. Um, and I would say, and if you are interested in, in that with me, then I want to start to develop some skills with you and tell you some things because I notice that I've been withholding some information or withholding parts of me or I haven't stepped fully in to be with you because, well, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um, so actually having some um, sensitivity, I think, for one's own learning with that, instead of sort of jumping off into the scary, well, I'm just going to say everything. Mm -hmm. It's like mm, giving yourself some time to be with it and also some time with this whole concept of what is unarguable. Because the truth doesn't have to sound like uh, the truth is I hate your guts or the truth is I never want to have sex with you or the truth is um, you do look fat in those pants, right? The things we don't want to say. That isn't the truth. That's going that other direction of that's all arguable. The truth is I'm scared. The truth is um, three years ago I started thinking I wasn't in love with you. I had that story and... Um, and I haven't known how to even talk about it with you. The truth is right now I could throw up even describing any of this. Like to, to actually go sensations, emotions, and, and to give themselves time to be with that before having to jump straight into the, the mouth of this, the mouth of the lion of potential who knows what would happen. But the other thing is for me, um, uh, being Caucasian uh, and, and raised in that way, I think there's something called white polite that a lot of people um, believe they shouldn't have messy relationships. And mm. so it's better to just kind of hold it in. So these days I'm a fan of mess. Like, yeah, if it all gets dumped out on the carpet, okay. And it takes some, us some time to sort through it. If, um, if we really want to, if I really want to have a big passionate connection, um, maybe I, that's exactly what I need to do is let things kind of blow up and so that I can actually see what it is that we've got between us. It's not the worst thing. Now, you make a very strong statement in the Relationship Skills Workbook. Actually, you make many of them, but here's one that really got my attention. Anytime we blame, we are giving away our power. And I wonder if you can unpack that for people. Yes. Wonderful. I love what you find in this, Tammy. Um, it actually feels energetic. I can feel it anymore. It's, it's, I think of it as a hot potato of power, of energy, um, so that I can, let's see, that something happened and I feel angry about it. Um, oh, and if I could just latch it, sort of heave it over to you, well, if you hadn't, then I would not be feeling this way. But as soon as I do that, I'm, I'm totally losing anything I had to do to create that situation. This actually happened last night. My partner and I missed each other in a restaurant. And I'm texting and looking around and walking around and walking around. Ooh, I just so so wanted to blame her about it. And and she came home. She really, I think, wanted to blame me. Why didn't you come? I really 
Well, to sit with, oh, okay, how did I create that? How did I create that? Um, what it did was actually kind of help me stay internal instead of going over there. It helped us avoid some big conflagration. Um, and the truth was I totally created that. I mean, it was up to me what I was going to do next. That was my experience. It was my life of stepping through that. So it to bring her into the middle of that was a lie, frankly. So it doesn't, as soon as I blame, what I'm doing is taking any learning out of the situation. I'm right. <laughs> I, know, I know what happened and you did it. So there's nothing to learn from the situation. Versus if I can start to wonder, huh, wow, I just did that. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, but I'm imagining listeners thinking of all the things they're blaming their partners yeah, about right yes, now. Yes, right and now. And there's a, you know, a, a fabulous, long, interesting list yes. from easy little things. You know, I, I blame my partner for being a slob. Yeah, to, oh, that I blame my partner for, you know, overspending yep. money and not even telling me about it. Yep. Or I blame my partner for having an affair. I mean, we could oh, go all yeah, the way to, sure. to that level. The all affair, that's and, a good and one. And so all these, I mean, there's there's little blames and there's big blames. Mm -hmm. But are you actually saying to people that when they engage in that kind of blame, they are no longer empowered in their relationships? And if so... There's no place for that kind of blame? Then what, what am I going to do to my partner as a slob <laughs> overdrew the bank account and had an affair? Right. <laughs> uh, that is what I'm saying. Uh, the concept would be uh, about taking 100% responsibility for what is happening for me and in our relationship. Yeah, because I am very interested in people living in a really powerful big way that is my goal that we're all walking around being as big as we can and getting everything we want all right so i i totally believe that that's possible in a relationship you can be as big as you are both people can be as big as they are and they can get everything they want so when we go into reactive brain we kind of we go a, a few steps back in evolution and suddenly we are wrangling and fighting and using our energy in conflict and struggle and making the other person wrong or making myself wrong. So all this energy going to waste. If I can come back into creative brain and tell you the truth and tell you what I really want, now I'm available to hear what you really want. And if we've gotten to the bottom line of what we both really want, now we can start dreaming of how we can both get everything we want. So that's what I'm, where I'm putting my energy is to creating this magnificent time instead of trying to prove how wrong and bad you are, which is, as I'm saying, it sounds, just sounds so cruel to the person that I love most in the world. I don't want to have that kind of relationship anymore. Now, couples come into your office. Do you have a sense in meeting with a couple early on, oh, this couple, they're not going to make it, it's over? Or this couple, I think they got the bones of something. I mean, do you have a way that you have come to assess that? Sure. The main way is generally one person has brought the other person. It's not generally both people's idea to come in. So the one that's being dragged, the draggy, <laughs> the question usually is, is, is that person out of gas? Because there's an energy of they're just done. They're out of gas. Maybe they were out of gas a year ago, and now they're just sort of going through the motions. 
So that's the main thing I'm assessing for. Uh, are, do each of them have what it takes, some level of energy even to try something? Um, and often it's, this stuff really works. Um, so it's pretty miraculous. It's what I love about my work is once people can actually start using these skills, they, they notice how instantly they feel connected to themselves. Their partner's doing the same thing over there. And now suddenly they're finding each other again after what has often been a long dry spell. There's this like, oh, oh, there you are. I remember you. I can see you again. I haven't seen you in a long time. Where'd you come from? Now, you said, Julie, how passionate you are about helping individuals, couples, people all over the world live these big, yeah. big, 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 yes. <laughs> un unbounded lives. Uh -huh. And early in the book, you talk about something that you call the upper limits problem. Yes. And you talk about how your mentors, Gay and Katie Hendricks, actually, this is a very strong statement, said the only real problem, real problem, in a relationship is this upper limits problem. What is this upper limits problem? When I read that uh, in their book called Conscious Loving, uh, I just couldn't believe the hyperbole of that <laughs> statement. I never heard anything that crazy, which is what got me interested in what they were up to. Yes, uh, the idea would be if you could get yourself out of reactive brain, suddenly you're living in creative brain, and then the question is, well, what else can we create? Because most of us have not spent a lot of time living from creative brain, especially in relationships, in many ways, we're just not wired for it. As humans, we, we know we are great at being scared. We are so, we've mastered fear, <laughs> at least feeling it, maybe not dealing with it. Uh, anger, we're great at, sadness, we've got those down, but letting our bodies feel joyful and happy and alive, not so much. So actually noticing what we do to interrupt feeling good is about how do I handle the upper limits issue. So there I am feeling good, uh, Katie Hendricks says that most of us can handle about four seconds of feeling really good. Hmm. So maybe you can stretch it out to eight seconds or maybe half an hour at some point. Uh, I wonder what I'm up to. I think I can do it for maybe even all day these days. But I've been working on it for 20 years. So, um, But the other side of this is really noticing when I have felt good for a while that my body needs a rest. <laughs> it's like a balloon. I gotta find a way to deflate. And sometimes I'll do that by having, creating a fight or I might feel sick as a way of just getting some rest or I'll bang into something. That's one of my favorites, uh, favorite ways of getting my own attention. So to not see those as failures as much as signals about, oh boy, you know, I've kind of gone as expanded as I can. I need to pull in, I need to contract some, give myself a rest. Were you able to identify where some of the ceilings or limits were for you in happiness or pleasure or free flow and how different it is now from what it used to be? Like mm. a, you have a sense of helping us see the difference and how you started seeing the limit. Hmm. There's a whole description in there of uh, the Cartman drama triangle, the victim-villain-hero triangle of stuckness and power struggle. When I first learned about this, I can clearly remember, um, which is really being in reactive brain, being stuck in reactive brain, 
I remember thinking, oh my God, if I'm not doing that, what am I going to do with my time? <laughs> I mean, that was my life, to be adrenalized, to be stressed. I thought that was what a good person did, that the more exhausted and stressed I was, the better human I was. So, <laughs> so there's a, there's a watermark. <laughs> yeah, way below the line. Uh, so that's where I started with moments of uh, sort of coming out of that and then going back into that, believing that that's what life was. So over time, I don't think that anymore. I did find my way out into creative open space. I did solve the issue of what do I do with my time, which these days is to look for the next way to have fun and the next thing to create. And, you know, how else could I enjoy life? So, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole new experience for me. Well, new in the last few years, for sure. Now, our program is called Insights at the Edge. Oh, right. And I'm always curious to know what somebody's edge is. And in this case, the living edge for you in relationships. I mean, here you are, you've written this book, you're a therapist, but I know lots of people who have written books and are therapists and have quite troubled times trying to apply some of their best knowledge in their own lives, and that's okay. But I'm curious for you, what would you say is the edge of putting your own learning into practice in your life? I like the edge idea because I do have a sense of, like, kind of the edge of the world, like the, the, the people that were the, the sailors going off in their ships to the edge of what they've known. That's what I think for me. It's like now and then I get to the place of, hey, hey, maybe this is possible. I never even had that thought before. <laughs> I never even heard of that before, of anybody living that way. So um, for me, I think my own learning edge is being sure I have enough rest, coming back down and, and letting myself have that, and then going back to that expanded state and starting to really wonder, wow, I have so many ideas about you know, how I was raised, things, how life is. What if that's not true? <laughs> what if it's just not true? What if, uh, if I were living in flow all the time and suddenly these coincidences that aren't really at all coincidences, they're just living in flow and, wow, what could life really be like if, if it was just one long unwinding of flow? Um, what cool magic could happen? So that's, that's what I'm exploring. It's very fun. And I do have one final question for you. The Relationship Skills Workbook, now it's out in the world to help individuals and, and couples. What's the vision that you have for what relationships could be like? Hmm. I'm going to start with what I feel saddened by and then go there. Um, I believe people suffer so much in relationships. There's so many ideas of how things should have been and they're not, and so much disappointment and feeling uh, mad at themselves, mad at their partners, but this is just how it is. So starting there, um, my vision is that people can be released from that, that they can start to understand they've got the power to move themselves out of reactive brain, to support their great teammate of their partner, to also live in creative brain, and that in that place, they can co-create 
really what they wanted all along. They can find the passion again. They can find the sexual charge. They can create, co-create their dreams um, because that's where their energy is going and that's um, suddenly what they can see and feel and know in themselves and then in their partners. And it's probably what they came into the relationship for to begin with, that now it can actually come forward and, and be possible for them. I've been speaking with Julie Caldwell. She's the author of the new book, The Relationship Skills Workbook, a do-it-yourself guide to a thriving relationship. And it's a book that is packed with exercises and practices and charts, a real workbook that you engage with. Incredibly beneficial. Julie, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us on Insights at the Edge. Thank you, Tammy. It's been a true It's always great to talk to you. I know. (laughs) Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.